0: parkrun adventurers. It's a big one tonight. I'm joined by Scotty.
1: Howdy all. Say hello. <laughs> I said howdy. Good. we following on your lead. Obviously,
0: <laughs> I'm the other half of the adventuring duo. My name is Mel. We're here to bring you another grossly inaccurate episode tonight, today, this morning, this afternoon, midnight, whenever you might be listening. Have you had an adventure recently, Scotty?
1: Well, of course I have.
0: Well, give us the details.
1: On Saturday, on Park Run Day, I was involved in the Laylaw Park Run launch, which, from not only my reports, everybody else's reports, was a big success. We had a welcome to country to get us started, which was performed by one of the local elders. We had the mayor, and then we were joined by Auntie Pam Pedersen, who also... Welcome to all the runners. Can you get the theme?
0: Everyone was really welcomed by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, and then we did a run briefing, got into some warm-up from the Indigenous Hip-Hop Project, which I was a little bit sceptical of going into it, just because I know the general parkrun crowd, and I, was, I wasn't I was sure if they were going to embrace a hip-hop warm-up. Particularly Be honest, because-
0: Scotty, you, you, you just don't like dancing yourself.
1: I'm not a big dancer. My, fa- my family's got a history of dancing, but it skipped me. But it's also in Melbourne, we, we don't have a lot of warm-ups at the event, so it's not a thing. I know I've been to some other park runs. You might be involved in some, where the warm-up is part of it. But in Melbourne, that, that doesn't happen. So I wasn't sure how it was going to be embraced down here, but it was embraced. Let me tell you, everybody got into it. The hip-hop dancers were fantastic.
0: Is it they- going to be a regular thing?
1: Look, it's not. It was a launch special for Laylaw. They might come back for the anniversary or maybe another time during the year.
0: So what I really want to know about, you mentioned last week you had something to do with ensuring there was a bridge on the course, which is the High Five Bridge. And I've got Parkrun adventurous Spies out there, Scotty. And one of them wants to know, how many High Fives did you give on that bridge last weekend?
1: Hey, give, give me a name. Who's your no, spice? No.
0: <laughs> okay. I can't reveal my sources. I've got them all over the country.
1: Yeah. Can you believe it? I, I completely forgot. And it, it's strange. Like, how can you forget to give a high five?
0: On the high five bridge. On the high
1: five bridge. Oh, I kind of remembered. J- any high
0: fives the whole run?
1: I did. I picked up my okay. game after that, but oh, completely missed the bridge.
0: I don't know if we can forgive you for that. No. You might have to go back and do it again.
1: I can guarantee I'll do that. And there'll be high fives for sure. everyone.
0: Word for word, you said there are no excuses. So uh, um, we can't take forgetting as a, a good enough excuse. you got to pick up your game.
1: For one week only, I will hang my head in shame <laughs> in terms of high fives. There's no doubt about that. I was caught okay. in a pack and I think... <laughs> That's what happens. These
0: are all just sounding like excuses. Yeah. Just just bear in mind what you say on this podcast doesn't just stay on the podcast, it goes out there, and people are hearing it, and people report back to me. So, you I know. I want names. <laughs> I'm not giving you any names.
1: Off here, I want names.
0: <laughs> you can try.
1: Yeah, but from all reports, the High Five Bridge was a highlight of the course. Some people might think, what the hell are you going over just the bridge? Because we just go over it and then come back. But the views, if you, if you take your time and you look out, particularly coming back over the bridge, you get a fantastic view of Melbourne, which is a pretty city.
0: Just, just don't forget to keep your right hand up for high-fiving as you're looking at the pretty view
1: enough about that the rest of the launch was a success the again the hip-hop dancers were around at the end and they were performing we had some fresh fruit handed out just the general vibe but it was really nice it was really casual it was really friendly and it was really supportive therefore i determined laylaw parkrun launch a success
0: excellent that's what we love to hear always good to have a good launch and i'm sure melissa had a great time
1: I think she did. She did a wonderful job too. First time, very composed. She did confide in me that she might get a bit emotional, but she held it all together and she just ran a very smooth event. Well done, Melissa. The other Melissa.
0: Mackay actually had a a very successful launch also by reports that I'm hearing from around the ground, so that's great to hear. We love successful launches and so Mackay and Lailor twins In the parkrun world, look forward to hearing them going on the up and up. What else happened this week in the parkrun world, Scotty?
1: Brian Peters became the first Aussie to run 250 parkruns on Australian soil, 240 of which were at Main Beach.
0: Congratulations, Brian. That's a pretty mammoth effort. You'll be getting your green shirt, no doubt, very shortly.
1: He has visited four other events across the Gold Coast. And we're, we're going to make the assumption that Brian travels for cake.
0: Because he's only done those four other events a couple of times? Yeah. Yep. Who doesn't travel for cake, really? I know there's a lot of parkrun adventurers out there and that's their sole motivation. Cake. Cake.
1: Numbers were good around Australia again this week.
0: The best kind of good, I believe.
1: We don't have an official figure, but we're pretty confident there's a... Um, Another record, attendance record.
0: Over 25,000. Yeah. We've tipped the scales at over a quarter of 100,000 this week. So that is fairly damn impressive. Hugh Park ran last weekend. You're part of those awesome numbers and congratulations to the volunteers that made that happen.
1: Indeed. Just getting bigger and bigger every week, Park Run in Australia. It's the biggest running movement in the world, if you hadn't heard already.
0: Speaking of the world, did you hear about the mummy who was unearthed wearing Adidas shoes?
1: I haven't. Enlighten me.
0: She was in Mongolia. She's wearing shoes that have stripes reminiscent of the Adidas symbol. You know, how all their shoes and all their clothes have those three stripes. And um, it's actually sparked time-travelling theories, which I think is pretty amusing. Um Possibly. This would be a good time to mention the fact that we do have a listener in Mongolia, or we had one once.
1: No, I think they're a recurring listener.
0: <gasps> they're a recurring listener. We need to find out who this person is. This parkrun adventurer who's in Mongolia. How, how can we figure this out, Scotty?
1: It's not a big country, Mongolia.
0: Presumably, the person is not the unearthed mummy. I don't she? Uh, she probably doesn't know anything about iPods or social media.
1: Why are you making that presumption?
0: The mummy, because <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> she died a long time ago and was embalmed, probably before electronic devices were invented.
1: Okay, good point. So you've got a date when she became a mummy.
0: Well, I See don't. Where I'm going? What scientists do. <laughs> Don't do a lot of research for these podcasts. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah. Do you know which is the biggest park run in Melbourne?
0: (laughs) Well, if I'm to go by the advice of one of their um, prominent territory directors, I believe it's Diamond Creek. Would that be incorrect?
1: Very much so. Yeah. Do your research. (laughs) Check the
0: facts.
1: (laughs) I know Dr. Scott
0: does. (laughs) Sorry, Dr. Scott.
1: It's about time I got something wrong.
0: Well, it's, it makes a pleasant change that you're offending someone this week instead of me. Yeah. So thanks for that. Taking the heat off. I enjoyed my week off. Let's see who I can offend this week. Okay.
1: We've got plenty of program left to go, and it's a busy one this week. So should we crack on?
0: Last week in the UK, the Stoke Gifford Parish Council voted 6-4 to four in favour of charging Little Stoke Park Run for use of the park. This decision has received global news coverage, much of it condemning the actions of the Council. We are fortunate enough to be joined by Tom Williams, the Chief Operating Officer for Parkrun Global.
1: Welcome to the pod, Tom. Hi Scott, nice to be on. Yes, it's certainly great that you could join us, Tom. We wanted to get a little bit of a background on what has probably been the biggest media story in Parkrun history.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it has been the biggest Parkrun news story. It's been... It's been amazing, really. You know, we it's actually been going for about six months, um, maybe a little bit longer. We've been surprised at the level of outpouring. We're touched and humbled, and and we've really honoured, uh, at really how much people love what we do. From you know all all aspects of society, really, people you know non-part runners, regular part runners, top elite runners who have or haven't done part run, celebrities, government, governing bodies, everybody has come out overwhelmingly in support, which has been yeah humbling.
1: Let's take it back to six months ago. How did it all come about that the council wanted to start charging Buckrun?
2: Well, it's an interesting situation, really, and I think this is where a lot of the problems stem from. We've been at pains throughout to say to say we don't want to vilify the council. We, you know, we we want to come to a positive resolution with resolution with them, as opposed to really try and have any kind of fight or anything like that. Unfortunately, they made a decision without consulting us or the local team at the time um, and then communicated that decision to the local team without really any consultation and that was back in september and that decision was that uh, every park runner should be charged a pound every time they run and then that money should be handed over to the council Um, and as you can imagine that didn't go down particularly well
1: no We've got a similar situation here in Melbourne as well where the local council wanted to do that. We know it's unfeasible, but can you tell listeners what are the consequences of if Parkrun agrees to do that? How much damage can it do to Parkrun itself?
2: Yeah, this is really important. And I think um, a lot of people caught onto to this fairly quickly and we've had some support from really high levels in government, for example, the Minister for Support and DCMS and so on, and they... It's clear that everybody realised that not only is the future of Little Stoke Park Run at risk here, but actually the future of Park Run across the world is at risk. And the reason for that is we're successful, Park Run is successful, because we break down barriers to delivery of events, not necessarily because we break down barriers to participation. And we do do that fairly well, but there are other things you can go and do for free, and there are other things that are easy to get involved in. Um, Perhaps not as easy as Park Run, but they are out there. But what we do is we break down the barriers for local people to deliver these events in their local communities. That then allows us to have, as we do at the moment, 850 local local events every single week, and we're starting about 350 a year at the current run rate. Key to um, breaking down, removing barriers to people delivering events is is those local teams, or Part Run HQ centrally, not having to apply for uh, grants for every single event every single year you can imagine if we had to apply for 850 grants every year at the moment and growing uh, and also key that part run um, hq or the local events don't have to find the money every single year ongoing to support those events so you know obviously councils will say things like well we would we would the fee wouldn't go up we'd charge you a minimal amount it never change." but of course once you open the door to that charging it's very difficult to control it and to limit it and so it, yeah, I think in Australia you've got about 170 events, um, and if you put a fee on each of those, or you have 25,000 runners, if you put a fee on each of those, and you grow the way we expect you to grow, so I would expect Australia within 10 years certainly to have five or 600 events, probably having juniors as well, um, probably having 100,000 runners a week, and actually when you start saying well that's a dollar an Aussie dollar a runner, 100,000 Aussie dollars a week simply doesn't work. And so in order for us to not set that precedent and, and to protect that ethos, that free to participate ethos and to continue to remove barriers to the delivery of events, it's critical that we don't accept, then this is the, the way we would phrase it, we don't accept permission to use any land that we use on the condition of a fee being paid or a grant being raised. Makes sense to
1: me. What? So the outcome is that the council decided to impose a fee on Little Stoke, so Parkrun stopped or cancelled the event on the weekend. Mm-hmm. What's the future for Little Stoke as we stand right now?
2: It's not overly clear. I would say today we've had a, a head office meeting of the senior management of Parkrun this morning, just before I spoke to you, to discuss where we are. Um, we, since that initial request of a pound a runner, it's been very difficult for us to really get clarity from the local council as to as to what they really want other than money so they've been unable to define an amount of money although they've talked about grants that that they would help us to apply for we believe those grants don't really exist they've also been unable to identify the uh the amount that having park run there costs the council through wear and tear or or whatever it might be they've also not been interested in 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 conversations around any things we can add in value in kind in terms of vol- non part run volunteering in terms of promoting other local events and and so on so it's put it's put us in a really awkward situation where we we are um currently looking at the robustness of their decision so we respect their 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 position as a local parish council in the UK to make a democratic decision that, with an outcome and for them to attempt to enforce that outcome. At the moment, we're looking at, actually, what is the robustness of that decision and is what's our right to appeal? And actually, it's a, it's a little bit more complicated than we than we first thought. We're still hopeful for a positive outcome. We took the decision to cancel Little Stoke Park Run on Saturday for a, a, a number of reasons. One, the event team, who are all local volunteers, are absolutely exhausted they've done a phenomenal job but they've signed up as event core volunteers of a local park run and they found themselves on the biggest television programs in the country live being grilled by TV presenters and being put next to the counselors who have just made this decision so it's been a hugely challenging time for them they've been phenomenal I don't say that lightly they really have been unbelievable um, however they were exhausted Uh, and um, at the same time, the outpouring of of feelings was so strong, we all, as a group, between the local volunteer team and us at HQ, we didn't believe that it was possible to guarantee the safety of that event had it gone ahead. So it has about 300 runners a week. It's a three-lap course, three-and-a-half-lap course um, in a relatively small park. We wouldn't like it at the moment to have more than four or 500 runners, I'm sure, and there was a genuine concern we could have several thousand runners turn up. Uh, so it was cancelled on Saturday we've not yet discussed it's now, it's now Monday we've not yet discussed what this Saturday will look like it may or may not be cancelled this Saturday um, and we're just taking each day as it comes really and, and I honestly could not give you a a view on whether I think we will see Little Stoke Park run again hopefully we will we're doing everything we can possibly to um, get it going again
1: I've got one more question on the council, just from a novice from an Australian perspective is there any difference between a parish council and a normal council rational thinking council <laughs>
2: um, it 's really interesting and i 've learned a lot more about it than i than I knew before i 'm still i wouldn 't say i 'm an expert on on these things um, essentially the the part run comes under the jurisdiction of South Gloucestershire County Council so that's the that's the kind of county it sits within, but in certain areas of the u k much 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 smaller areas of a county are the the power is is delegated down to a local parish council who are a group of i think in this case twelve parish councillors um, who have certain rights over the use of the land in that council so they will set rates for football pitches borrowing it they will give football teams borrowing the pitches they will um, give people like us permission or not so we have our permission letter which we got when we started um, little stoke park run is a permission letter from stoke gifford parish council it's not overly clear where the ultimate power lies in these kind of things so they are the lowest level of government as far as i can understand However, it's not clear whether higher levels can directly overrule them. And my feeling is they probably can't because that parish council are put in place to use democracy and make these decisions. And and that is what they've done.
0: Tom, you mentioned before the outpouring of support uh, for Little Stokes that you've got from both across the country and internationally. And there have been a lot of questions here in australia from event teams about what they can do to help and and just other park runners as well i understand there are a lot of petitions or or one or two separate petitions going around what exactly could we do to help the little stoke park run cause
2: so i think at the moment the best thing people can do is just show their support typically on social media by sharing images and using the hashtag that we came up up with, Love Little Stoke. Um, And that's made a huge difference to the team and the community there, and they all feel like they're being very much supported. Um, The petition's an interesting one, so it's had, I think, in excess of 55,000 signatures so far. It's not something that we've actually particularly promoted centrally, and the reason for that has always been that um, it's really local, signatures that are most important and most influential in them. So you're better to have 5,000 signatures of which they're all local um, than a million signatures of which none of them are local because it's a local issue. What we have found, however, is that the the large number of signatures on that petition has really engaged the interest of um, politicians and the establishment and and of the news pages. So actually, although it may not directly influence Little Stoke uh, Stoke Gifford Parish Council which is the parish council we're talking about it has actually helped us to raise the profile of the case which is really important to us so I think if people want to go along to the to the, to the change.org petition they'll find it if they look, search for Little Stoke Park Run on change.org then they can sign that and that that's really great and actually it shows uh, some solidarity around the world and the importance of Park Run to people um, mostly we're, we're kind of appealing for calm and for people to um, let us and the local little Stoke Park One volunteer team do everything we can to work with the council to come to a satisfactory resolution um, and and hopefully we'll do that.
1: I've got to say the response from Parkrun, I, I liked it I really liked it that it was a okay. calm response that wasn't provocative in any way um, did you feel proud to be part of Parkrun in yeah. moment in time?
2: Yeah hugely proud and I think the proudest moment for me really was seeing Jeff Keough, the local ambassador, and then Becky Bushnell, the event director, in fact, in the other order, going on BBC Breakfast. So it was the day after the announcement, with just that night, had the decision go against us. Emotions were really high. They'd barely slept, and they found themselves on BBC Breakfast, which is you know one of the most-watched TV programmes in the UK, live to the nation, um, being stood right next to the chairman of the council who had who had made that decision ultimately to, to to throw them out and they were unbelievable and I think to see volunteers I mean for for us it's our job so for me it's my job and I'm really proud of how my staff and myself have, have acted but it's our job that's kind of what we sign up to do and that's that's how I see how we earn our money that's what that's what we need to do well but for the volunteers they don't step up to do that they don't sign up to do that they sign up to get people active in their local park so for them to act with a level of professionalism and expertise and and jeff keogh the local ambassador was on a very very big radio two show um here in the uk called the jeremy vine show um again with with a representative from stoke for parish council and was just so awesome and we've given them no media training we've not like oh, sorry turn my phone off We've given them no media training. We've we've supported them as best we can, but they've just excelled. And for me, that was I was really proud of that. You know, really proud of those volunteers just just achieving wonderful things.
1: And one of the side effects to all this is there's no such thing as bad publicity. The registrations and the attendance this week all went up in the UK.
2: Yeah. Record reg- well, not record registrations overall. I guess because in January and February we see insane registrations. So in you know first week of January we'll typ- typically see twenty thousand registrations, but we average in the UK about ten thousand registrations a week, and we had fourteen thousand, so it was a you know a very clear kind of forty percent spike in registrations. I think it was the biggest ever Tuesday and Wednesday in history for parkrun registrations, um, and actually we had shocking weather in the UK, and we we were only. Probably over across the whole weekend, I think we were about 500 people short of an overall attendance record. I think we had 89,000 participants compared to a record of about 90. Um, but actually, English weather's bad. I know that, but it was particularly bad. So we had snow and sub-zero temperatures across lots of the UK, which for the middle of April is is you know, unheard of. So I think that probably stopped us having a, actually quite a significant attendance record.
0: It's uh, been wonderful to have your perspective, Tom, especially given your involvement with Parkrun in UK and global, essentially. So thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you for covering it. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for all your support, everybody in Australia. It's been amazing.
1: From time to time on the podcast, we like to catch up with Parkrunners around the world and around Australia. We've got an interesting story to tell. This week we're a little bit chuffed to be joined by Pat Farmer, who I'm hoping most of you wouldn't know. Pat's got an illustrious career of running, but he also loves parkrun. So welcome to the Parkrun Adventurers, Pat Farmer.
3: Thank you so much. It's great to be here and uh, great to have a chat with fellow parkrunners.
1: Now, Pat, you're just back in the country, I assume. You've just returned from an epic journey through india yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to
3: yeah well look i i often go and speak to kids in schools uh um, high schools primary schools right around the country and indeed overseas and the first thing i say to the kids when i speak to them is hands up everybody that does cross country and they all put their hands up and then they say to them what country do you cross and then they all put their hands back down again and uh, it's, a bit, you know, it's a bit like that with me, I suppose. I've just run the length of India from Kenya, Kamari, right through to Kashmir, so southernmost point to northernmost point. Uh, and you know, prior to that, of course, I've run the length of Vietnam uh, from Chinese border right down to the southernmost point, of a place called Nam Can. Uh, then I've run uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, Palestine. I've raced across America a couple of times and around Australia and a few other countries in the world um, via the pole to pole run that I did from North Pole down through into the South Pole. So, so um, you know, with that in mind, I was looking for a new challenge, and I had the opportunity to have a look at uh, India. And, of course, India is one of these places that is just so dynamic and so different and diverse from one place to the next. uh, They call India the nation of uh, nations because it was once upon a time many different kingdoms, and then those kingdoms came together to form states, and those states came together to form the country as we know it today. So, consequently, they do things a little bit differently from one state to the next state and then uh, all the way through the country because the climate changes. Uh, And because of um, diversity, uh, it's just it's just so different. Let me give you an example. Down south through Tamil Nadu, where I started, uh, is where the three seas meet. So you've got like the Indian, the Indian Ocean, the Bengal Sea, and of course the Arabian Sea, and all three of these meet at one point one beach, and that's where that's basically where I started. A place called Kanyakumari. From there, I was uh, I was assisted with thousands literally thousands of runners on the 26th of january which is not only australia day but it's also india republic day and from there i ran on up the coastline through um around 13 other states all the way through to kashmir so basically up the the coastline through to mumbai which is uh, still on the western coast of india and then from there i went a little bit further north and then headed inland towards agra Agra is famous for the Taj Mahal and then from Agra on up into Delhi and from Delhi um, uh, on up into um, uh, Kashmir via Rajasthan and a number of other really fascinating, incredible, exotic places which were, which were just tremendous. Uh, um, um, probably the most standout place out of all of that was Amrista and Amrista is um, uh, right near the, the um, Indian-Pakistan border and it's famous for, one, the changing of the guard every single morning and every single afternoon. They raise the flag and then they lower the flag, both in Pakistan and in India, and they have a bit of a face-off. It's almost like watching gladiators um, perform, uh, and they have you know grandstands on both sides of the border and crowds of people clapping and cheering each side on as they um, face off with each other. And then, of course... And lower the flags or put the flags up if it's in the morning, and then it's also famous for the Golden Temple. The Golden Temple is run by the Sikhs, and the most amazing thing about this beautiful Golden Temple, uh, aside from the many stories that come with it, is the fact that they feed eighty thousand people a day. Uh, just poor people, any any people, any denomination, any faith that come there that are looking for a meal, they provide them with a meal for the day. So it's really a beautiful way for me to have started that day's run of 80 kilometres.
0: So, Pat, you mentioned that you started in the south, obviously, and where all the oceans and seas meet. I understand in the first couple of days that you had some quite high temperatures and extreme humidity to deal with. How, how did you cope with that?
3: Well, for, for your Australian listeners, um, down south it would be – very similar to running through, so running through Kerala and running through um, uh, Kerala and Tamil Nadu, right up through India, or just shy of Goa, uh, is very similar at that time of the year in January. Is very similar to running through Northern Territory in, say, January. It's very, very hot, incredibly humid, uh, and I knew that I, I knew that I'd, um, you know, I'd struggle with the heat there, having come straight across from Sydney and not having much time to acclimatise. But uh, it really sapped my energy. and of course, uh, any of the runners out there will know that um, you know dry heat, uh, you can deal with that even if it's um, up as high as 40 degrees uh, uh, I've run the Simpson Desert and Death Valley in America and a number of other deserts around the world. And that dry heat, what happens is it's just it's hot and it's piercing your body almost. but What happens with it is you sweat and then the sweat uh, makes its way to the outer layer of your clothing it dries off and then you get a cooling effect from it but when it's very very humid what happens is you sweat and then the sweat just sits in your clothing it doesn't dry off at all and so it creates uh, another insulation barrier um, between yourself and the air outside and then what happens is you just overheat and that's exactly what happened to me I ended up uh, having to go to the hospital after only two days, uh, and um, I got three litres of, of, of fluid, uh, water put into my arm, or three litres of saline put into my arm. Uh, then got off out of the out of the hospital bed and, and did another eighteen kilometres to get my distance done for the day. So I was running approximately eighty kilometres a day every single day for the full duration of this run. So that's sixty-four days, uh, and. Uh, you know, down south it was that because of the hum- the humidity and the acclimatization in the early stages, I found it very, very difficult, but not impossible.
0: You certainly got some tenacity. Does stubbornness run in your family?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people, some people say that you're, um, you know, it's uh, it's determination and other people say it's stubbornness. It just depends on how you look at it. Either way, it's a good trait in an athlete because athletes need to be able to face the barriers and walls and difficulties um, whether they be internally or externally and then they need to be able to push through that and the only way you can do that is by being incredibly stubborn and determined uh, and focused on what your end result is to be and what you want it to be.
0: I love the word stubborn. It's definitely a compliment when I use it.
1: So the end result, you were running for disadvantaged women throughout India. So you were raising awareness and um, funds for that cause.
3: Yeah. Well, what what a lot of people would probably know already is that uh, India had a caste system not that long ago, and basically people um, just believed that they were they were always going to be poor in life, or they were always going to be. Wealthy in life, or they were always destined to be what they were, and that was all there was to it, and they couldn't change their stars, as they say in the movies. But, uh, but of course, we all know that not to be true. And if with hard work and determination, and often with education and study, you can change your stars, you can change your future. Uh, And so, it's only just in recent times, and all a lot of work because of Mahatma Gandhi, of course, who rebelled against this uh, caste system, uh, that things changed in India and that system was basically uh, changed and people started believing in themselves. Uh, and with that in mind, you started to get a bit of an evolution. Now, uh, uh, one of the big problems has been is that when people are very come from very, very poor families in India, a lot of the, the poor farming um, parents will turn around and they'll say, look, we've got two children, we've got a boy and we've got a girl. Uh, is a good chance that our, our girl will probably get married and, and then the whoever she marries will bring the income into the family. So it doesn't matter if she gets an education or not. So they don't bother pursuing an education for their daughter. Uh, I was trying to change that mindset. Of course, the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Modi, is another person who's working diligently to change that. And it is changing And through the NGOs like uh, Nani Kali Foundation, which was the organisation I was raising money for, um, they're changing that situation. Now, the great thing about that is what I've always said is that if you educate the girl child, then you educate the future mothers. And if you educate the mothers, you educate the family. And if you educate the family, of course, you educate the nation. So, I mean, through this run and through, uh, uh, through the fundraising as well directly, we're making a difference to literally thousands of people's lives there in India. And it's, it's, it's tremendous to be able to do that. And um, like uh, I've seen it in Egypt, I, I did a bit of work for the International Red Cross in Egypt and I saw over there they have a system where, um, you know, a lot of the women who are very, very poor, they can't read or write, they're completely illiterate and they're living in rubbish tips out in the deserts of Cairo. Uh, and uh, I saw this firsthand myself and they they couldn't read or write because, and, and so consequently their children didn't get a birth certificate because they couldn't fill out the forms when the child was born so that meant that when the child grew up that child didn't get a an id card and so in um in egypt without an id card you can't get a job you can't work so you can only work on the black market and if you work on the black market you get paid absolute peanuts and you um basically resolve yourself to a life of, of of slavery and and so that was what was happening there and i didn't want to see that same thing happen in india or in any other place so i've been working for years to try and change that and through education is the way to do it
1: i've got to say i love your courses that you've run for you know that's that's a cause that we don't hear a lot of you ran in israel lebanon palestine for the peace run the pole to pole run was for clean water how do you go about choosing what cause you run for and what you choose to raise money for? Well,
3: there's a bit of practicality comes into all of that. and uh, you know, A lot of your listeners are, are athletes that want to make a difference through their running, and so they often uh, look for a cause, a charity, and usually that cause or that charity is pretty close to home, um, so it may be something that's affected them or you know, some, something that's happened to, to somebody close to them. Uh, in my with my life, you know, I, look, I always look globally at things. So for instance, with the pole-to-pole run, I imagine myself running through places like Ecuador, Nicaragua, El Salvador, um, Guatemala, places like that that most Australians had never even heard of. Uh, and I thought to myself, now if I'm running there for the Humpty Dumpty Foundation, which is a charity that operates out of, out of Sydney, nobody over there is going to know what on earth that is and I'm going to spend half my life explaining to them what it's all about. So for that reason, uh, I chose uh, an international charity. And of course, um, there was a few big ones. Uh, and one of those that stood out in my mind was, of course, the, uh, the International Red Cross. Uh, and I was very impressed with their clean water projects and their and their uh, projects to alleviate poverty. So that's why I did the poll, the poll run for the Red Cross, because I knew every single country I went into, They would already know about the Red Cross. There would already be mechanisms in place which would make my job a hell of a lot easier. So that was important to me. Uh, When I ran in Vietnam, the length of Vietnam, of course, clean sanitary conditions was something that was high on the agenda. You know, a lot of people were dying before they uh, left their their teenage years because of um, poor sanitary condition and the lack of clean drinking water, which is just you know, crazy in these these times when, you know, we can send people into outer space. We're talking about jet packs on, on just ordinary commuters, uh, and yet you know people are dying because they can't get their hands on a filtration system for clean drinking water or, or uh, be able to find a toilet. So, you know, that's what gets up my goat makes me determined to do the things I do. So when I just see just huge anomalies between very, very poor people and, and the lifestyle that we take for granted here in Australia. So, you know, naturally that's that was something that I felt strongly about as I ran through um, Vietnam and, uh, you know, we made a big difference there. Uh, and then, of course, you now with this last run, uh, I, I tapped into girls' education and then I needed to find um, – you know, who were the NGOs that were delivering that. And then I do a little bit of research to make sure that they're all credible and reputable. Uh, And one of the things that I always do is I never handle the money. So whenever I'm planning a run, I organise my own sponsorship to do the run. So first of all, I get the run in place. And that means if there's a film crew going along, I I organise to pay the film crew and everything's covered. And then I select the charity. Um, so that I'm doing the run regardless of funds raised. And then the funds raised, every single cent of those funds raised goes directly to the charity.
1: You're a busy man, Pat. You, <laughs> you do a lot of running, obviously, which we've heard about. We know you've done some park runs. Do you have much time for park run? And what what do you like about park run?
3: Well, I love park run for numerous reasons. Um, uh, everybody has their own reason for loving park run. Some, some people love it because... They see there's an opportunity to meet the uh, to meet their future husband, wife, partner, whatever you know. And I see that I see that occurring more and more these days. Uh, in fact, even my daughter's over in London at the moment, and she's uh, not that she's looking for anybody. She has a boyfriend over here, but she's um she loves uh, you know she started going to Parkrun over there in London. It's her first job because she just wanted to meet other people and not feel so isolated in a whole new country. So. It's one of the beautiful things about it is that you meet like-minded people for starters. Second thing I love about it is that there's no pressure. It's all—it's up to your own personal best and you just go in there and some people are trying to lose weight and some people are trying to run a, a good time you know, or a better time than they did the week before. And some people just use that as their regular training regime or regular exercise regime. So it helps keep them honest because they've got something to aim for each week. For me um, – Obviously, the distance is short in comparison to the things I do, but I like to be able to have a bit of speed from time to time, and so I love to go out there and, and have a shot at the shorter runs uh, against all sorts of people, and they just help keep me honest and they help me to work hard at, at those shorter runs, which normally I could easily get very complacent about. But you never know when you might need a kick in an event where you just need to pick up the pace a little bit. So parkrun helps me a lot with that. So I run. Obviously, we when when we're travelling in interstate, both myself, uh, Tanya and I, uh, my 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 wife Tanya, she loves parkrun as well, and she's a member. Uh, we go to St Peter's when we're at home here, and then when we're not here, when we're travelling anywhere, we she always tries to look for a parkrun that's on somewhere. Uh, and we'll go along to that park run. And I think that's one of the beauties of it all, that you can still do your Saturday morning run anywhere in the world and usually find a park run. And, you know, it's free, it's, it's great, and may it always be that way.
1: Tanya sounds like a real park run adventurer. She's doing what we all do. She won't go on a holiday if they don't have a park run nearby. <laughs>
3: Basically, yeah.
0: And Tanya, she she's beating you on the um, numbers at Park Run as well, isn't she? She's going to get to her hundred short before, shirt before you do.
3: That's what she said. That's what she said to me. Because I just go like I, I, I show up, you know, I show up to get a bit of spin every now and then. Of course, I'll have a layoff now, uh, still for another two weeks before I do any any running. So I'm trying to put some weight on. I lost ten kilos from that last run, and yeah. I need to put some weight back on and get some strength back in my body, and then I'll and then I'll get back into it. So, but she keeps saying to me all the time, I'm, I'm going to get hundred. I'm going to get my T-shirt, my 100 t <laughs> And it's amazing. It's the greatest prize in the world for her as far as she's concerned. That's it. You know, forget about a gold medal for the Olympics. She just wants a Parkrun T-shirt.
0: <laughs> oh, look, I'm, st- I'm still working toward my 100 shirt. It's going to be yeah, another few good. months away yet. And That's I've been great. doing it for four years, so.
1: Yeah, good on you. Part of the um, global growth for Parkrun is targeting India. How do you think Park Run will go in India and what impact do you reckon it would have if it oh, ever I'm gets happy. up there? It,
3: it will have enormous impact beyond anybody's wildest dreams. There were so many people saying to me, like I said, I was joined by sometimes two or three people and other times uh, two or three thousand people on the sides of the road. People would just join in to run with me, schools, colleges, um, individuals. Uh, all sorts of people. I had people from the military run with me, uh, from the Air Force, Army, Navy, the police force. Uh, but one of the things that came through loud and clear from everybody is that they want more events on in India and they want they want to run. And they want to run because anybody can do it. One of the things I love about running and why I said that this was probably one of the best diplomatic missions that had ever been carried out by anyone between Australia and India was because – when you run, young people, old people, um, boys, girls, uh, you know, people of all ages can compete in the same event together. Whereas if you're playing a game of uh, cricket or soccer or you know, it's categorised and you know you're in the under sevens or you're in the under twenty ones or you're the male, you're in the male team or you're in the female team or you're in the old buffers team or whatever. Whereas with running, anybody and everybody can go in the event. They can compete together and they love that. And the other thing that they love is all you need is a park or a a nice open space with a bit of fresh air uh, and um, just a pair of shoes or in some cases, as I saw in India, you don't even need the shoes. So you can just get out there and you can just do it. And to be able to run with other people gives you a sense of unity, a sense of belonging as well. it's a quite a driving force to know that you you you're accompanied by other people in what you're doing and like-minded people and that you're not alone after all so it's a beautiful thing it will take off enormously in india it will go incredibly well in fact uh, i've been asked back to head up a number of runs and races over there and help them sort out a few more events so you'll see that the the whole running epidemic will really take off in India and when you consider they have 1.2 billion people, uh, don't be surprised at the, the changes. At the moment, most people don't see uh, India as much of an athletic nation, but if they take a hold of this, they will really start to excel.
0: Now, Pat, when you did your pole-to-pole run, you came across some polar bears, and I have what I consider to be an entirely rational fear of bears. So, I, I just want to know, what do you do when that happens?
3: Well, the first thing you have to do is try never to get in that situation uh, in the <laughs> <world>. <laughs> uh, um, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little bit of a lead-up story to that whole deal. I was in New York in 2010, and uh, I was staying in in New York in 2010 uh, in, in the lead up to the run that would start later on in April 2011 up in uh, Longyearbyen, and from there I'd be flown by I'd be flown by plane and then Russian helicopter into the North Pole. Uh, Longyearbyen is one of the islands off the coast of Norway. Uh, so I was in New York, uh, acclimatizing and training for that, and I had my two children with me, Brooke and Dylan, and they were much younger back in those days. Uh, and um, I remember taking them to the to New York Zoo one morning. Uh, there was a lot of snow around that year in 2010, by the way. And I, I I purposely set my base up there because I would drag a truck tire from Harlem down into into um, Central Park, and then I would drag it around four laps. So that's 40 k's basically around around uh, Central Park and then drag it back up in, into where I was staying. My hands were frozen and then I'd thaw out in a bath and then I'd take my kids out for the day. And and so what I remember taking them out on this one day and they I told them we're going to the zoo, which is in Central Park. And I said, we're going to look at a polar bear. And they said, Dad, what do you want to go see a polar bear for? I said, I want to see what I'm up against. So I went... I went and checked out this polar bear at the zoo before I took off on the run, uh, and it said basically on the side of the cage, um, this is Fluffy the bear or whatever his name was at the time, and it, a, and he consumes uh, um, 20,000 calories, no, 40,000 calories a day. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, well, I'm supposed to consume between 10 and uh, 15,000 calories a day when I get into the North Pole. There's no way in the world that I'll be able to to get my hands on 10 or 15 Big Macs a day and I'm not going to be able to eat that much anyway so I don't know what I'm going to do. As it turns out I ended up surviving on olive oil and uh, uh, and some other pretty gross things but uh, that were high in calories but uh, my point my point was the first of all you have to know your enemy so I learned as much as I, I possibly could about bears, polar bears, black bears and grizzly bears because I came across those in Canada. Um, uh, and then secondly, I, I you know, you've got to make sure that you're always trying to stay upwind. So whenever you could, uh, whenever you saw there was polar bear prints in the ice there in the polar region, uh, I would always try and stay upwind. And as a consequence to that, yes, I did see – I did see um, polar bears, and I did see a a big black bear that I came very, very close to as well in Canada. Um, The black bear, I didn't have a choice. He was on the road, and he was just right in front of me. Uh, Thankfully for me, he wasn't too keen on eating me, and he just sort of shrugged his shoulders and basically just kept on walking across the road. But with the polar bears, when they come out, they're incredibly hungry. But the thing that uh, touched my heart was that I saw this this imprint in the snow and the ice in the North Pole uh, and it was fresh. It still had um, fur around the outside of the imprint and I was wearing snowshoes at the time. I wear a size nine and nine and a half Brooks running shoe but I had boots on, Baffin boots on at the time so you can imagine the size of my foot And then I had the snowshoe, which is like a tennis racket that goes on over the top of that. So you can imagine how big that was. And this whole snowshoe fitted inside the footprint of this polar bear. Uh, um, And then, you know, I was incredibly worried and scared about that. And then I looked a little bit closer and I saw these little uh, paw prints. So there was two baby Uh, polar bears two little baby polar bears that were right beside the mother as well and obviously had been in hibernation just come out and so when they're like that although they look incredibly cute they're incredibly hungry as well so uh, myself and my guide was on a very very high alert from that point on so I carried my ice axe with me on on my body not just in my sled so I tied it up on a belt around my waist. Not that I would be able to do much with a nice axe, but that's the mentality at the time. Uh, and we had a 3-3 three three rifle, and although we let off a couple of rounds just to make a bit of noise um, uh, and scare things off, we well, I didn't have, ever have to use it. So that was a good thing. But, um, yeah, so I suppose my advice to you is don't carry food on you when you're travelling, and then the rest of it is just stay upwind and the rest of it's in the lap of the gods because, you know, I would sleep in my tent. It's 24-hour sunlight in the North Pole in summer. Uh, and so you put a mask over your face so that you blacks it out. You get inside your sleeping bag. The wind is howling 100 k an hour outside and it's snowing at the same time. Um, the sun is blazing down still, which is really weird. And then you close your eyes and you're so worn out that you actually sleep well if a polar bear wants to eat you it'll find your tent and it'll eat you and the, and it'll get you before you can even wake up so you know a lot <laughs> oh, of it's just luck a lot of it's just luck
0: okay so what i'm taking from this is plan a avoid do not go to the north pole don't go to canada and you should be fine
3: well, or go there just in organized tours and, um, you know, you can always stay in a motor vehicle or a skidoo and you can stay stay pretty far away from these things. Uh, or if you're with an organized group in the North Pole, you just get in and out of your vehicle, the, the helicopter and you check it all out or you fly over the top of it and that's it. But if you're actually doing an expedition across there, then good luck.
0: Make sure you're the faster runner of the group.
3: That's it, just faster than the other person. not.
0: Don't have to outrun the bears, just the
3: other people. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Pat, it's been an absolute treat having you on our podcast. Thanks for telling us the stories of your adventures in India and around the world.
3: And um, look, if anybody wants to find out, they want to see some more pictures and some video, if they just go to patfarmer.com. They can see some of the the short snippets of videos and bits and pieces, not only from the India run but through some of the runs that I've done over the last uh, five or six years.
0: Wonderful. And are they still able to donate to your Spirit of India run as well?
3: Yeah, you bet. I'll be collecting funds for that for right up until the end of the next month. So I'm doing a lot of corporate public speaking engagements at the moment and the funds from those are going directly to that cause as well. So if they just go onto the website patfarmer.com, they click on the My Cause button and they can make a donation there. That would be great.
1: We've given a lot of airtime to a couple of running clubs on this podcast, namely yours, which has got a really long name, one that we haven't talked about much, but there's a lot of runners out there. You would have seen a lot of red, not Park Run 50 red, but 530 runners red. And one of our roving adventurers, Peter Polman, caught up with Gary Wells
4: at Park Run on the weekend. Let's have a listen. Hello Parkrun Adventurers and welcome to Warwick Parkrun. Warwick is a bit of a northern stronghold for 5.30 runners and this week we are joined by Gary Wells aka Guru, a founder of the 5.30 runners. Welcome Guru. Thank you very much, very excited to be here. (laughs) For the second take. (laughs) (laughs) Briefly, what is 5.30 runners? 5.30 runners is a whole group of um, people, runners all around Australia and overseas that like to get together and run. Are there any requirements before joining? Yes, there is. Uh, what, what are the requirements for joining? Uh, just ask to be a 5.30 runner. <laughs> it's a very exclusive club then. Um, very exclusive. And and speaking of exclusive, do you have any thoughts on the 5.30s getting a cool hand sign for photos, like Wooters or Zoolanders or Westphalians? I don't think we need it. Really? That's a good answer. I like that answer. We don't need it. What are you doing here in Warwick, Gary? I'm uh, on my way through to a family holiday in uh, Queensland, testing out this beautiful warm weather that we're having. That's why I'm here dressed in a jumper. (laughs) 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 But, uh, yeah, it's all good. And and, uh, you're going to be uh, practising one of the legs of Pentath run, I hear, tomorrow. Absolutely. Uh, Tell me more about this Pentath Run. Pentath Run, great idea. Instead of just doing one run of a weekend, you can totally destroy yourself doing five (laughs) runs. And this year, Warwick Park Run is also hosting a Freedom Run at 5 o'clock on the Friday night because there's no park run on Pentath weekend because the half marathon uses the same course. So, thanks for visiting Warwick Park Run, Gary. And happy parkrun adventuring. Thank you very much. Go 5.30s.
0: (laughs) Thanks very much, Peter and Gary. It's awesome to hear from the 5.30 runners. They're also uh, our good mate Ian Hayes Club. So great to have you guys on board listening to the show. Around the social landscape this week, we've had some interesting suggestions for merchandise so far. If you recall last week, we put the call out. To ask what people thought would be the essential kit that they needed as a parkrun adventurer. So we've, we have had suggestions for technical running shirts and singlets. Um, Ross Pentland on Twitter suggested bottle openers because you can never have too many of those. Melissa Ellis suggested that we could have running singlets that say I'm a parkrun adventurer which can only be obtained once a parkrunner has run at a certain amount of parkruns, that one could be very tricky to manage.
1: Yeah, we'd, we'd have to put on staff, I think, to keep track of that.
0: And with what we've got to pay, which is effectively nothing, we probably wouldn't be able to put on any staff.
1: Unless they're happy to be paid in leg warmers.
0: Well, and this is the thing. You suggested leg warmers, Scotty. I'm a little bit confused about what leg warmers are exactly. When somebody says leg warmers to me, I get an image in my head of, um, you know, dancers with these big, fluffy, knitted things around their calves. Exactly.
1: I was trying to keep it on theme last week.
0: (laughs) So you don't mean like running calf sleeves or anything. You actually mean the big, chunky, woolly Leg warmers.
1: It does get cold in Melbourne, not and so I much see people. Queensland. Well, I see people love those long socks, so I just took it to the next evolution.
0: You think Parkrun adventurers on long socks would be performance enhancing?
1: Let's not go there. <laughs> okay, so we've got some great suggestions for merchandise. We'll put it in the big think tank, and we'll come back when we've got a strategy,
0: and all money to create said merchandise.
1: How was Instagram this week?
0: Instagram was awesome this week. We had Stuart Marshall training checking in. This was a bit of a special pick because he had, he shared a photo of a couple holding a just married sign. I'm assuming he is the gentleman in that photo and the the caption that goes with it is the caption says it all love you beautiful wife would not be where I am today without you so how romantic is that to be hashtag parkrun adventurers they're obviously avid parkrunners and they've just got married I feel really special that we were involved in that
2: Hmm.
1: I'm guessing it was a parkrun meeting reunion what are they called
0: I think I think it's actually that they just parkrun together
1: parkrunners yeah you don't think they met run
0: together, have fun together. Well, they didn't mention it in in their other hashtags. So yeah. I don't know. Stuart, Marshall, train, get in touch and give us your story.
1: I also noticed Healthy Mum, Healthy Family had a pick of the Bent Logic tag with the hashtag never forget barcode again. I'm
0: still to get one of those round plastic bent logic tags a couple of years ago for Christmas. Every family member who was registered with Parkrun got one from me in their stocking. Do you think anyone thought hmm. to spend $6 on me? No, no. Still no logic tag for me. Gems underscore 21 shared a very cute video of a young person doing Parkrun and said, this is how a two-year-old does Parkrun, no stopping this kid. I particularly love the hashtag that she used, Only meant to do one lap, but ran the whole five kilometers. How impressive is that? A two-year-old doing the whole five kilometers. I am in awe of this Mm. child. Big park run career ahead of him.
1: Thanks, Gems21. We also had some posts from our regulars, running guy Ryan, misspelt, underscore PK, and positivism1. So thanks, guys. We do see them. We still love them.
0: This week we've got a launch in South Australia. It's been a little while since SA has had a launch, so it's pretty exciting
1: in the Clare Valley too. Mhm. We talked about this on previous episodes when we had Robbo on. He mentioned that there was a park run coming to the Clare Valley and there might be a connection with a winery.
0: The Naked Runners have their own winery. Mhm. Well, they don't have their own winery, but there's a a brand, a label of wine called the Naked Runners or Running Naked, something along those lines. Either way, I'm pretty sure it's very drinkable. We need to get down to Clare very soon and test out their park run as well as the other local fair.
1: It'd be cool if we could find a winery called the Adventurers.
0: Let's just make one. Maybe that's the merchandise we need to go into. It's the Fuel, the Fuel for Adventures
1: put that in the think tank as well mm. and where is the cake this week
0: oh the cake is all over the country we've got gin and dera ginny in the act having their fourth anniversary how awesome is that lily Del lake in victoria are having their second anniversary with a very cool red theme i like a color theme just a solid color always looks good in the photos
1: Rockingham in WA are celebrating their third anniversary with a Heroes and Villains theme. And rounding it out, Stone's Corner. Queensland. Ian Hayes event. They're celebrating two years with a fluoro event. And interestingly enough, the whole event team from Southbank Parkrun are volunteering there this week.
0: They are. That's that's a nice gesture. I'm not sure... I would, I would take up the offer to have my event run by an, another event team because I'm a bit of a volunteer who runs as opposed to a runner who volunteers. But lovely, lovely gesture from the South Bank Park Run team and I'm pretty sure the Stones Corner team were very chuffed to
1: receive it. Clearly. So hopefully Ian will give us a report in amongst all his facts and stats. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll hear all about the Fluoro run.
0: And that's it from us this week. Big episode. We hope you enjoyed it.
1: This is another long one, so let's wrap it up now. We will be back next week with our 17th episode. So for now, it's goodbye. Chat to you next week.